is that uh, I let the folks back there doing the audiovisual and the children's ministry know that we're going to flip-flop Poetry Pals in the sermon today, because we have a really special message for the kiddos, not that the message for y'all isn't special, but uh, just a really special message for the kids this morning. So I'm going to pray for us for our time in the preaching of the word, and uh, then we'll dive in. God, this morning, I just pray that um, you would quiet the hearts of those who are here in attendance, that God, our minds uh, run amuck on us, that all of the different thoughts that are competing for attention in our minds, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would calm those thoughts as Jesus calmed the sea. And that in that peace, in that tranquility, that folks this morning, they wouldn't hear from me, they wouldn't hear the words of a broken man, but they'd hear from you, God. They'd hear from your word. They'd hear the truth of who you are and how we need to respond. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would do that, that it would press upon our hearts that maybe some this morning have never trusted Christ. They've never been born again by the spirit and that it would be a reality today that they would respond. Some of us um, who maybe have been Christians for a while just haven't been living it out, God, that we've never truly become fishers of men, that your spirit would impress upon us how we need to live our lives and how we need to rearrange our priorities to make you first. God, that's our prayer this morning. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been in a sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew called Equipped. And last week we began... The Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel. And before we dive into that, before we go too far, I wanted to set this up a little bit. I know I normally show the kids some slides and ask them some questions about those things. And I wanted to ask you all this morning, what does that look like? I heard one right answer. What is... It looks, yeah, it's various, various uh, types of ductwork. D-U-C-T, not D-U-C-K. Actually, the brand is D-U-C-K, duct tape. But it's duct tape. And the story, I don't know if you've ever heard it or heard it told before, but I was reading a book, a men's ministry book, not too long ago. And the author of the book at the foreword, he said, he kind of set it up in talking about duct tape, which I thought was a little bit strange. But he told the story about how duct tape was created by its inventor to seal ducts. That's D-U-C-T, like that we use for air to flow through in our houses and buildings. It's for sealing up ducts. And after they did some research, they found out that duct tape actually does a horrible job of sealing ducks. It does a horrible job. They said that there's virtually anything else that you could use on the planet that would work better than duct tape for sealing ducks. It does a horrible job. The air escapes. It, there's hardly any efficiency rating to it whatsoever. The duct tape gets hard. It gets brittle. It breaks. It's a horrible, horrible thing to use. But along the way, they found out that there's a lot of things that you can use 
duct tape for? And some of you in your homes, maybe even on your vehicles, you have duct tape holding things together. Maybe not the safest thing in the world, but I bet there's a few people in here that have it. Duct tape. And I mentioned duct tape simply because, see, there's a stark contrast between what duct tape was created for and how it functions. You can use duct tape to decorate gifts. You can use it for wallpaper. You can use it to hold things together for plumbing, for electrical stuff. You can use duct tape for all kinds of things. But it doesn't function what it was created to do. And the problem is, the tragic problem is, is that bleeds over into the human life. See, when we go into Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we find out that humanity was created by God. We have a creator. We have a creator. And we were created to function in a very specific way. If you have a bulletin with you this morning at the very top, I'm going to give you a part of the point this morning. You can kind of look up at that slide and you can write down the first part. Followers of Jesus are equipped to function just as God originally ordained. And I'm going to fill out the rest of that for you at the end of the sermon today. So that's my little teaser. Followers of Jesus are equipped to function just as God originally ordained. See, in Genesis 1 and 2, we find out that God created humanity to do three very specific things. We were created to worship God. That's the up portion of it. We were created to be great stewards, responsible stewards over creation. That's the down part of it. And we were created for horizontal relationships. That's the all-around part. We were created to function in relationships, up, down, and all around. And I'm so convinced of that, that the only book that I've ever written, and maybe the only book that I ever write, is a children's book called Up, Down, All Around. And it's about this very idea that we were created to function. Up, worshiping and praising, glorifying God, down, stewards over creation, and all around, serving and protecting our relationships with one another. And as we know, Genesis chapter 3, things didn't really go that well. Things didn't really go well, and Adam was just kind of standing by as his wife was tempted by the serpent. She ate from the fruit, and her husband was standing there with her, and, and she gave some of the fruit, and he ate it as well, even though God said that surely on the day that you eat from that fruit, you will die. And we lost our function. Worship God, serve others, steward creation. And see, in that fall, and that rejection, and that depravity that happens in Genesis chapter 3, things got turned completely upside down. Now today, people reject God, they serve self, and they abuse resources. See, the tragedy is, is that we even look at those horizontal relationships. We look at other people, instead of being created in the image and likeness of God, we look at them as resources to be exploited. There's things going on in our world today, slaves, sex trafficking, 
horrible things that we do to one another, and yet we have the audacity to look at God and say, God, how could you allow these things to happen? And God looks back at us and says, you're the one doing it. You're the one doing it. So today, we have a very short passage of scripture from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. I'd ask you to turn there. I'm going to read from the HCSB, the Holloman Christian Standard Bible. It's not divinely inspired. There's no translation that is. We don't have any of the original documents. We have lots of fragments and copies. I'm going to read from the HCSB, and you can follow along in your version. This is Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. This is Jesus speaking. You are the salt of the earth, but... If the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. See, Jesus isn't coming up with a new teaching here. He's not. If you go back and you read Genesis 1 and 2, you'll realize very quickly that Jesus is simply reiterating, restating what God had ordained from the very beginning, that humanity was created to function. And the tragedy is, not only have we as human beings, as people, taken the liberty to repurpose our lives, but we've actually done that in the church today, in Christianity. I'm going to read something to you. I was on the internet and I was trying to find some examples of reusing and repurposing things. I had some pictures up there, and I thought, well, I'm just going to go through these fairly quickly instead of worrying about going through a slideshow. I'm just going to read them to you. Transform tuna cans into gorgeous lighting in just 10 easy steps. Gorgeous lighting. I just wonder if their idea of gorgeous lighting and mine might differ a little. 23 fun and creative crafts you can do with old jeans. 40 strange but brilliant ways to use cinder blocks. You'll never throw away dental floss. Containers. That's an important part to that. That was my dramatic pause there to see who's paying attention. You'll never throw away dental floss containers again. How to make a hanging mobile mobile from old paintbrushes. How to make a hanging mobile from old paintbrushes. I saw the picture of that one and I wasn't impressed. 120 uses for pool noodles. 120 uses for pool noodles. 18 things you can make with bottle caps. I'm almost done, so hang in there. 33 genius ways to reuse K-cups. Genius. Brilliant. 
And again, I just wonder if their idea of genius and brilliant and gorgeous are really on par with mine, with ours. And the reason why I mention those things isn't necessarily just to get a joke or a laugh out of folks. It's to demonstrate how in the book of Romans, Paul writes and says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But tragically, I think that we do. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we hear people like Martha Stewart and the folks on the DIY network, HGTV, and they come along and they tell us amazing things that we can do with pallets. That's rejected wood. It's scrap. It's garbage. But there's amazing things that we can do with it. Things that we can do with old paintbrushes. You could clean them. K-cups, instead of making an herb garden out of it, you could throw them away. You could recycle them as plastic so that they could go back into actually functional things. But my point is, is that it bleeds over from our culture into our churches. And I want to show you a couple of slides here. And I think sometimes in our churches we forget the need. We forget the need that there are people who are our neighbors, our co-workers, even our children, our brothers and our sisters, our aunts and our uncles, maybe even our mom and dad that are lost. They're lost and they're hopelessly depraved. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, God, working in their life, in their lives, they have no hope. So there's the need. And then on the cross, we have the life that comes from Christ alone through the cross. And then we have what we've been reading about, what we've been studying, what's been preached on. Jesus calling those first disciples on the Sea of Galilee, Peter and Andrew, James and John. And he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they responded and they followed Jesus. And my question today is, is how are we doing? Y'all are looking up there at the slide and you say, goodness gracious, what is that? And you should. That's a person. That's a person. And I don't want y'all to hear this the wrong way. I think there are some really well-intentioned things that churches are doing. And I'm not trying to draw my sword and go at anybody or any church. I just want to ask a couple of questions. Is, did Jesus tell us that we should entertain people? Did Jesus tell us that in our churches that what we should focus in on is that we should cast the net of entertainment, that we should lure people in with cinnamon buns and hot cocoa and circus acts Bingo parlor night. Is that what we should do? Again, I'm not knocking the idea of our children, our youth, going to Christian concerts. But I think when church begins to look more like what are we trying to get as far as entertainment value goes, and we're not really preaching the gospel, we're not really reaching people, we're not really casting the net and addressing people's needs. 
See, because that's what Jesus did. When he called those friends of his, the next thing he did, Jesus goes out all over Galilee teaching, preaching, and healing. He addressed the needs of the people. He didn't say, hey guys, uh, why don't you come over here to my party yacht? We got a, we got a big spread. I'm going to have baskets of food and anything that you want to drink and all kinds of games to play. We're going to have lawn darts and all that kind of stuff. That's not what Jesus did. And then he goes into the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and he describes what disciples look like, how they act. They're poor in spirit. They mourn. They're meek. They hunger and thirst, not for social reform, political justice, but for righteousness, for Christ. They're merciful. They're pure in heart. They're peacemakers. And they're people who anticipate and expect persecution. That's what disciples look like. And then Jesus goes on to say, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything. See, when disciples of Jesus, we lose sight and track of our function, when we cease to function, as my students over at the Christian school that are in my Connect class might be able to recall, is that when things cease to function the way that God ordained them to, they no longer exist. We say, well, sure they do. There are lots of churches that exist. We can go and knock on the door. We're not talking about material existence. We're talking about functional existence. Is the church today functioning as God, Jesus, our bridegroom, intends it to function? I wonder. See, I think that Larry Osborne really nailed it in a book that he wrote called Mission Creep. And he compared the idea of what we do in terms of evangelism today in our churches is vaccinations. Is to see, with a vaccine, what you do is you give somebody just enough of something so that they can't catch the real thing. And that's what we've done in our churches. That's what Christianity looks like today. When we do global missions, we export Western Christian culture. We want to give people just a little bit of dose. We don't want to be too serious about it, though. Make sure that when we go over there, we don't just rely on the gospel. We don't just rely on the Holy Spirit. What we rely on is the candy and the medical aid and the jokes that we tell and the fun stuff that we do because we want their churches to look like our churches. It's not about exposing people to Jesus. Worship God, serve others, steward creation. And I want to ask you, how are we doing? How are we doing? How are we doing in terms of worshiping God? Oftentimes I sit down during the week, have lunch, coffee, discussions with folks, and a lot of times I say, well, pastor, you know, I didn't go to seminary like you did. I don't really have the right words. I'm not a professional like you are. So what I do is I just go, you know, like those guys that kind of climbed up on top of the roof and they, they tore a hole in it so that they could lower their friend down to Jesus so that he could be healed. It's like, I just want to get them close to you, pastor. I just want to invite them and bring them to church. Well, how many people have showed up? 
How many people are here today? How many people are here in the last month, in the last six months? How many people have attended church in the span of your lifetime because you invited them? I wonder. Worship God, serve others, steward creation. I just think that if we were sitting on a boat with Jesus, he might just lean in and say, Kevin, what's in your net? Can you all ask yourself that question this morning? What's in your net? What's in your net? Jesus didn't say it as an optional. It's like, if you're going to come and follow me, if you're going to be a fisher of men, that you would sit on the sideline, that you'd wait for a pillar of fire, that you'd wait for manna to fall down from heaven, that you'd wait for some divine sign, Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John, and later he would call the other disciples, and he said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's our function as disciples. And you can fill in the blank with anything that you want and say, yeah, but I do this other thing over here. I do this other stuff. If you're not a fisher of men, then you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what he designed and intended for us to do. That's our function. Followers of Jesus are equipped to function just as God originally ordained. If we're not functioning as God intends, we have no life in him. That might sound pretty harsh. You might think, well, that's Pastor Kevin's words. That's not Jesus' words. Let me go back and read it for you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt should lose its taste, its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. If you aren't salty, you aren't salt. You aren't light if you're still in the dark. See, God created us to function from the very beginning. And when Jesus came, was born in that manger, lived his life, went to the cross and died for our sins, being the new genesis of Matthew 1, he did that so that we could function as God intended are we going to glorify God with our lives? Are we going to be stewards of creation? Are we going to love other people 